Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Headlines. President Biden and congressional Democrats are declaring that the United States Senate must act immediately on the most important domestic issue in the land. So is that just more urgency to pass the president's Build Back Better agenda? Nope. Time to think again. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, after talks with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, key vote, of course, in the Build Back Better Act, Uh, After those talks with uh, Senator Manchin stalled, there is a bit of a student body left for the left, and they're moving to voting rights, voter rights legislation. But are the Democrats repeating the same mistakes they made, which caused the Build Back Better plan to get stalled and put on pause in the first place? That's what we want to explore in this first segment as we try to think again and look past the headlines today. It was so interesting. Uh, we've heard nothing but Build Back Better uh, for a very, very long time now, that it was the most important thing, that it was the thing that had to be done before the Christmas holidays that they could put on the president's desk. Uh, now, as the talks with Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema uh, continue to look quite bleak in terms of getting the, the, the votes they need to pass uh, the Build Back Better agenda, this morning... In a press gaggle following, actually this was yesterday, excuse me, following the press gaggle uh, in Kentucky, a reporter asked President Biden if Democrats should pivot from Build Back Better, uh, possibly to voting rights. Here's the president's response. If we can get congressional voting rights done, we should do it. If we can, we got to keep going. There's nothing domestically more important than voting rights. Single biggest issue. All right, so there the president makes a big shift. Uh, he has been talking about Build Back Better as the sole most important thing that needs to be done. Uh, now he has declared that there's nothing more domestically important than voting rights. It's the single biggest thing, according to the president. Uh, yesterday, Inside Sources had the opportunity to speak with Henry Olson from The Washington Post. Uh, he talked about what is going on in Washington. Uh, he talked about Senator Manchin, uh, the conversations and meetings he's had with President Biden again yesterday over the Build Back Better bill. Uh, but he believes there will be challenges if the shift is suddenly that the Voting Rights Act is the most important thing. There's still going to be a challenge. Listen to what Henry Olson from The Washington Post had to tell us. 
that conversation with President Biden didn't go particularly well on Build Back Better, which is one of the reasons why they're talking now as Democrats of getting on voting rights. But then you've got the same, you know, a different problem, you know, which is that the Democratic leadership and the Democratic majority wants a wide-ranging, sweeping bill covering everything from uh, A to Z. And Joe Manchin has said he wants a much smaller bill. And even if he went on board, you would require Republican support or you would require Manchin to change his mind about the filibuster. And again, there's no reason to think that he's going to change his mind about the filibuster. So at some point, Democrats ought to realize that you can't get a sweeping agenda through when you have a tie in the Senate. Uh, Really interesting. I think Henry Olson got it right uh, as he sat down with us in Inside Sources yesterday uh, saying that, look, the the voting rights bill has the same problem because it's so sweeping. It's so big. It's so intrusive into many states' rights issues, for sure, and that Senator Manchin and others are going to have the same kind of problem with that that they do with the Build Back Better agenda. Uh, in particular, they said that the biggest problem is going to be, look, the filibuster, and Senator Manchin is not on board with changing the rules to break the rules to change the rules. Uh, he's sort of against that. Uh, and so that would require a large number of Republicans getting on board uh, with the Voting Act, uh, and he just doesn't see that happening. Uh, Henry Olson, again from the Washington Post, has sat down with us yesterday uh, with inside sources, and he talked about the differences between Senator Manchin and Democrats just on the Build Back Better bill and what we can actually glean from that. There's a huge disconnect between what Senator Joe Manchin wants out of the bill and what the Democratic leadership and what the mass numbers of Democrats in Congress want. Manchin wants a small, narrowly targeted bill that doesn't have expiration dates of new programs. And the Democratic leadership and most Democratic members want a large, broad bill that gets the camel nose under the tent in as many programs as possible and uses expiration dates to do it. They're utterly inconsistent with each other. Okay, that's a really interesting take from the Washington Post uh, that really framing it that this bill, the Build Back Better bill, is a way to get the proverbial camel's nose in the tent uh, with programs that they say are only going to be funded for one year or three years Uh, And again, we all know once those programs have begun, the odds of them being discontinued is slim to none. Uh, And so uh, Henry Olson from The Washington Post just pointing out, look, Joe Manchin wants to if he's going to vote on something, he wants to vote on what it really is, not on what it's pretending to be or what it can be declared to be uh, under a gimmick in the accounting measures or the way you describe it in the bill. Uh, Henry Olson went on to say just how big the Build Back Better is, even if it's going to be shelved for a little while. These are still things that are going to be debated and are going to be difficult for Democrats in Congress to get across the finish line. This is a massive expansion of government spending and government power. You're talking about making uh, child care basically through the subsidy process dependent on federal regulation. That would put a lot of small and religious daycare centers out of business. You're talking about a massive multi-trillion dollar expansion of cash payments to women with children through the child tax credit. You're talking about a massive increase in universal pre-K going from three 
to five years old. You're talking about a sea change direction in energy policy and hundreds of billions of dollars to subsidize supposedly green energy and electric vehicles. And that's not even the end of it. There's program after program after program. And that's why the Congressional Budget Office said that if you simply take like 15 of these programs and assume that they'll be made permanent rather than artificially expire, as the current bill has, it would add an additional $3 trillion to the deficit on top of the massive amounts of trillions that we've spent. So the sheer scope of what they're trying to do through Build Back Better really hasn't sunk in yet. Uh, So much in there, so much to unpack. We're going to stay with this because we want to continue to take you behind the curtain. And uh, Henry Olson from The Washington Post uh, continued to do that as we had our conversation with him yesterday. And he's going to help us understand what is it that Joe Manchin is looking at in the state of West Virginia? And why is it that the Democrats might just be misreading the room, their own room, of where not only centrist Democrats are, but even where the liberal Democrats are? And what that means and what kind of debates and conversations we'll be having as we roll in to 2022. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. We're going to stay with the conversation just a little bit longer today as we break down our conversation with Henry Olson for The Washington Post. Of course, there's been a a lot of focus, uh, even just as we have been sitting here in the commercial break, we've seen uh, almost all the major networks, uh, cable networks have gone with some reporting in one form or another about Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And so that's where a lot of the focus has been, his opposition to the current Build Back Better bill and some concern that he won't uh, also wouldn't support the Voting Rights Act, uh, which is where the president and the administration seems to want to shift the attention uh, knowing they just can't get uh, the Build Back Better agenda across the line before the Christmas holiday. So to me, the the bigger thing, again, regardless of whether you fall on the policy and the politics of it, uh, we should all ask the question, well, why? Why does Senator Manchin have concerns the way he does? And are Democratic leaders in the House and the Senate and the president and the administration Uh, Are they misreading the room when it comes not only to a critical group, members of Congress who are of their party, but are they also misreading the room on the really important constituency, the American people? So we continued our conversation with Henry Olson from The Washington Post, and he talked about the political realities that Senator Manchin faces in West Virginia. Take a listen. Joe Manchin is running for re-election as the only statewide elected Democrat in a place that Donald Trump carried by 39 points. It is also a state that remains highly energy dependent, either on coal or in some cases on fracking. And so he has both a need to appeal to lots of Trump voters to win re-election, which is a general conservative mindset. And he also has narrow state interests that are at odds with the mass of Democrats on climate and on energy. He fails to deliver on either of those for his constituents, and he won't be a senator after 2024. So Henry Olson uh, went on to, to make what I think is one of the most important points that everyone just has to understand, and that is how rock-solid, 100% consistent Joe Manchin has been with his concerns from the outset 
all the way back in January when everything just started to get ramping up and all of these different bills were being proposed and all the agenda items were being put together for the new administration, he was very clear. He was worried about inflation. He was worried about spending. He wanted transparency uh, and went through a a laundry list of things that he was not going to abandon the filibuster uh, just because it would make it easier to pass what the Democrats wanted to pass. Uh, And I I love this take. Listen to this really closely. Henry Olson gives us some really interesting indicators that, to me, should make us all, regardless of political party, applaud Senator Manchin and maybe even wish a little bit that we had more Senator Manchins. They keep expecting that he's going to knuckle under and basically uh, do a favor for the party or do a solid for the party, as they said. And Manchin has been saying all year he's not going to do that. And in fact, he brought that up. People mentioned that in one of the interviews that he's done. And he said, look, this isn't the best job that I've ever had. I'm not going to sell my soul over it. And if they want me to lead the Democratic caucus, I guess I'll have to follow their wishes. He's clearly signaling that he's not going to simply go along and get along with his party majority. And he's now been fighting increasingly publicly for over a year. And at some point, you'd think people would get the message and take him seriously. I think Henry Olson nailed it right there. Uh, That is actually what we should all expect. Uh, So I want to point out two things, because as we roll in to 2022 and a host of elections uh, happening in the state of Utah and across the country, that... These are some things that we ought to be looking at as we evaluate who we're going to cast our vote for in various races from local election all the way up to the federal and beyond. Uh, He said Joe Manchin has told everybody this is not the best job I've had being a United States senator. Uh, And it is true. I've, I've always said the most miserable people in the United States Senate are former business executives and former governors. And uh, Senator Manchin falls uh, into both those categories And uh, he knows this isn't the best job he's ever going to have. He also knows it's not the highest job he's ever going to have. And that's actually a good thing because it leads him to the second thing that Joe Manchin has said that, look, this is not the most important thing in my life. Being an elected official is not the most important job I'm ever going to have. So I am not going to sell my soul just for the sake of the party. I love that. We need an army of people who are willing to say, you know what, being an elected official at whatever level of government is a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's an important thing for sure. But would you really sell your soul? Would you really sell your soul for that? And Joe Manchin has consistently said, sorry, you can't just say do it for the good of the party. He's not going to do it for the good of the Democratic Party. He's not going to sell his soul for that. I always think back to uh, man, man for all seasons. Uh, you know, would you would you sell yourself for for whales? You know, <laughs> it doesn't do you any good to sell your soul for the whole world. But would you really do it for whales? Uh, a great line. So Joe Manchin has been consistent that he is not going to sell his soul. He's not going to sell out just because that's what the party wants. Uh, I wish we had an army of folks who would be willing to say exactly that. So this leads to the final thing we talked to Henry Olson about yesterday on Inside Sources, uh, and that is how Democrats might be misreading their own voters, not not just the rest of the voters in the country. They might be misreading some of their own base, some of their own voters. Take a listen. 
The thing is that the Democrats have been trying to square a circle all year. The circle that they're trying to square is that their political majority includes lots of ex-Republicans and moderate independents who voted for stability. And the party base is increasingly progressive and want immediate transformative action. They've been trying to have it both ways. And what we saw in November is that independents, in other words, those former Republicans and moderate independents, abandoned the party in virtually every race that was held. And they are increasingly also facing a very negative midterm election outlook, which is making other moderate members quietly skittish about moving ahead. But rather than move the party to the center, they're still beholden to their loud left that doesn't want to admit where public opinion is. And it's going to be extremely difficult to see whether they can square this circle, because moving them to the center means a fight with the left. And they have been shirking and running away from that fight for five years. Uh, That is very astute observation from our friend Henry Olson at The Washington Post. Uh, that the Democrats are trying to square this circle and they're trying to have it both ways. And I think what Henry Olson pointed out was, look, the reason you're in power is you have a large number of former Republicans and moderate Democrats who voted for stability and said, yep, we'll we'll go down this path. Uh, But they are pushing their loud uh, left base, as uh, Mr. Olson described it, is pushing them further and further to the left with wanting big, sweeping, transformational change. And what they have to recognize and realize is in order to get things done, I mean, this is this is really a repeat of the first few years of the Clinton administration, where they swung very far to the left. It didn't work. Uh, they got trounced in the midterm, and President Clinton tacked to the center and that got him reelected, got him eight years in the White House and a host of things that followed. So great observation from Henry Olson. We'll continue this conversation. It is a fascinating one to me. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.